0: Welcome to the EIS Navigator. I'm your host, Brian Moretta. Video gaming is a huge market, but relatively niche within EIS. Steve Isles has spent his whole career helping the games industry and works at the intersection with funding. We talk about how gaming has evolved, the business models that are used, how investors should diligence video game companies, and why gaming hasn't taken off in EIS yet. If you join the podcast, don't forget you can subscribe on all good podcast services, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. If you have any suggestions for future topics or guests, then you can email us at inquiries at harvondandco.com. Without any further ado, enjoy this episode. So today we are joined by Steve Isles, who is Managing Partner at Origin Venture Partners. Welcome to the podcast, Steve.
1: Hey, Brian. Thanks for having me on.
0: Our pleasure. As usual, we want to start by getting to know a little bit more about you. So can you tell us how you've evolved in the sort of SEIS startups venture video game industry?
1: Well, my background is I've been in the industry for probably over 20 years, the video game industry. Right the way back um, from the early Sinclair Spectrum sort of Commodore 64 days, some would say that, you know, the birth of the video games industry all those years gone by. And how how I got involved in the SEIS business was – was really out of frustration of the um, the lack of investment at this level within the market uh, within the u k and also seeing you know other funds that had come and gone that had actually left carnage for those that had invested in the market and their you know their money had not been looked after so mm-hmm. you know that was um you know that that was a you know a key focus that uh, is a key focus for us is is making sure that you know the job is done properly and the investor's money is is looked after
0: and you've got orange venture partners can Can you describe briefly what origin is and does
1: um uh, so origin has been founded as as a consultancy we're not we're not fca regulated so we have to work with you know, other institutions to be fund managers you know and look after the money etc so so our key job is to you know look for the deals and do you know the deep dive due diligence on the uh the prospects of a company and a uh, you know and the, and the product that they're you know they're proposing to look for investment for so you know that, that's the key role that that uh, that we play you know it, it, it's down to everybody else you know within the chain to to look after the the kind of legal side of things mm mm-hmm.
0: Okay. So as you mentioned earlier, you're you're a video gaming sort of expert, industry expert sort of thing. So what we're going to do, we're going to talk a lot about video gaming, but I thought it would be good because there'll be a lot of people who kind of, oh, they know what a video game is, but they don't really know about the industry behind it. So it would be good to get A basic introduction to the video game industry and sort of how it's developed and how it's worked so maybe you can tell us how the video game industry has developed maybe over the last couple of decades you mentioned your early involvement
1: yeah yeah that's god yeah that's a that's a big story i'll try I'll try (laughs) i'll try and um and shorten it somewhat um so back in the i'd say in the inception of the industry it was one or two man bands from a creative perspective that were creating content something that we you know we now see in the industry as um let's just say the indie revolution but it's not indie the indie, re- the, the indie rev- revolution it's not a revolution it's just something that's come full circle mm-hmm. you know in in, in today's market it, it was how the industry really started in the early days so so you'd have one or two man bands um, that would making games making games maybe within four to six weeks in some cases which you, you just can't do now and they were in some cases not only the creators but they were also the publishers and you know in, in other case scenarios you, you would have the Creators just making the content, and then you'd have the publishers that that sprang up that were specialising in, in in publishing the games. Now, um, how distribution worked back then was everything was on on physical media, was on tapes or discs, and those, you know, that that product had to be sold into retail. That was your well, your only. Big market. There was also another much smaller market that existed, where you know you would you would sell your your product in a magazine, and then you would you know you you tick the boxes. I want this game and this game. Put a check in the post, and yeah. then wait for a month for your game to come back. That was you know that was the the very very early days of online shopping, but it was out of a magazine, so it was it was also very very insular in the early days. Um, so there wasn't really any you know any worldwide publishing, any import exporting, exporting, but, but it didn't take long for that to happen. So there was a company which was called US Gold, and uh, I can't remember the guy's name now. He saw an opportunity, and he was finding games in America, and he was then importing them into the UK, uh-huh. and, and he he basically created a company called Centersoft, which was one of the first major distribution companies for distributing you know, games, not only around the country, but, but out around the world. So, from those early days, as the industry expanded we we then found ourselves going on to other mediums, like the cartridge. so that was when Nintendo came in, and Sega came in you know the the market then changed quite drastically the power of the the hardware was in, increasing at that time. You could say, you know, exponentially we were going from 8-bit to 16-bit, et cetera. And that but was
0: kind com- of the de- rise of the dedicated consoles or the first dedicated consoles.
1: Yeah, it, it, it was. Um, but the game changed massively at that point and at at that point you then saw people being driven out out of business because the costs had gone up massively so what people outside of the industry and indeed I think people inside the industry probably didn't fully understand was the cost of doing business just they were just phenomenal so you had to put a, a ton of money up front to get this you know the cartridges your product manufactured, and there was months and months and months in order for that to to happen because it would be happening in Japan, for example, and then that had to be shipped back. so you saw a load of companies you know in in this country go bust or or actually merge because where this country yeah. suffered massively and continued to suffer through you know, through now, really, which is another reason why, you know, I looked at the whole SEIS side, was we weren't getting the investment. The money was coming out of Japan, the money was coming out of America. And so we lost a a, a good chunk of talent as well that, that wanted to, you know, move their careers on. And they found that money in America, they found that money in Japan. And we lost a, you know, a, a sizable chunk of top tier talent, you know, going to where the money was. And I think, you know, quite obviously. The other the other thing was where you could you could manufacture tapes and you could do as much content as you could, you know, as you could create, you couldn't do the same on the cartridge side. So the publishers would have contracts with you know with Sega, Nintendo, et cetera, but they would only have a limited number of titles that they could you know, they could do. But there's also a limited amount of money that oh, obviously people have got and a limited amount of playtime that you've got as as you get older. So as the as the industry then moved forward we we still see cartridges today in, in things like the nintendo switch for example but the market changed dramatically i would say when apple came into the market that's when when the market started to go di- you know digital mm-hmm. and there's naysayers in our our industry you know in those very very early days saying you know that i think digital was was unsustainable it would never last and it was like well look at it now it's it's dominating.
0: <laughs> so when you say when Apple came in, that mean, is, that, is that the iPhone or are you talking that's earlier? Yeah.
1: yeah, that's the iPhone because then, then you had an online store. And with an, an online store, that that then opened the floodgates to, if, if you can create it, they will come I'm, I'm at, very naive way of looking <laughs> at it, but it, it did mean that it, you, you didn't have to be a you know so-called professional developer in order to create content and then get it out onto a store, you know, and then hope that the, the public would buy it. Therein lies, a, you know, another major problem. So you then saw you know Apple doing just phenomenally well, and then you had you know the the, the Steam platform, which is you know the dominant PC games digital platform out there, and then more and so more. St-
0: Steam is, for those who don't know, I think especially is an online. It's a bit like the App Store, but for PCs. Is that it a good is. description?
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and then you had, you know, from from Steam, you had, uh, you know, smaller digital stores like Green Man Gaming, you know, etc. That that started up, and and they they sell you know, online PC games and they they kind of plug into to Steam as well. They, they they take all the information from from Steam to populate, you know, their store and they're selling Steam keys as well. They're not they're not an in, you know, they're not running completely independent on their own platform because that's like starting something from scratch and is like a you know, a huge risk. So you know, obviously you've got you've got Google as well with Android. Um, so that you know, there's a plethora of of online stores that are that are out there. Retail is still very much a thing. Um, even though we're you know we're seeing the the brick and mortar stores get hammered. Um, the, the sales numbers have have dropped a lot, but there's there's still. Very, very, very good money to be made in in retail. You should, you know, as a publisher or a developer, you should not be in any way discounting physical media, because it's not not only the you know the key publishers are still creating physical media, but there's been smaller offshoots as well that do limited edition runs, and they're doing very, very good business as well. And beyond the brick and mortar stores, physical products are sold obviously online, so there's still a lot of money to be made. You know, selling physical product via Amazon, for example. Some investors might remember that the Asda's and the Sainsburys and et cetera, They they got into video games. It was it was a very small part of their business, and I I think they're they're actually starting to sort of like get out of it because you know Amazon Amazon really is from an online store perspective. I think they're they're ruling the roost out outside of the you know the more stores.
0: Yeah, well, we've seen a lot of people suffering in many segments because of Amazon.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, the the, the other reason why brick-and-mortar stores, I think, suffer on the retail side um, is their you know, cost of doing business. So, you know, Game, for example, um, you know, as a, as a consumer myself, am I going to buy a video game from Game or am I going to buy a video game from Amazon if I want a physical copy? I'll buy it from Amazon because I can get it cheaper game in a lot of aspects just can't compete and they also charge the publishers you know a good a good chunk of money for the space within their stores to actually show their product and sell their product and it's something that uh you know amazon just (laughs) don't do (laughs) they don't have that need so so outside of digital and outside of physical the 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 other medium for selling games is 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 now cloud gaming and cloud gaming is something that people have tried to make happen on and off over the years there was a there was a platform called live if i remember rightly you know they had the right idea but it was too early in the cycle for our technology um, specifically if you look at you know there's a number of countries in the world that just don't have great internet in the uk yeah. is one of those you know we have very very patchy internet in this country especially the more you get out in the sticks and you know google are you know one of the big names that came out over the last two or three years um with their stadia platform that are that are trying to do you know cloud gaming right and you've got sony with with their platform as well on the playstation that also do cloud gaming And i think netflix are trying to get into the cloud so
0: cloud ga- gaming you mean that the game is stored online or people actually playing online and connecting with each other
1: Cloud gaming is um, so you you don't you don't download the physical product the physical okay. product and um, all the all the digital product as it were is on servers you know in the cloud so you're literally just streaming the game real time and in streaming that game real time because everything's starting to go more and more 4K then the bandwidth you need is is that much more so I I I still see that there's this. You know, there's this huge technical barrier to be able to actually, for everybody to be able to get hold of cloud gaming, because the of the internet infrastructure. Only in the UK, but other parts of the world, like you know America, apparently they don't have the best in, you know no, internet.
0: It's very patchy there. To, I mean, even worse in the UK, I think, in patchiness.
1: So you, you you could stream at a much lower bit rate and therefore a much lower resolution but as, as you know that's not what you really want to do why would i want to play a full game at like 720p for example so I, I personally wouldn't then go and stream a game if i was in you know if i had an issue where i could only get 10 megabits you know at my house i'd go and buy the game and and experience it the way that the creators had, had intended you to experience it you know that's a growing market but i i still see i still see barriers there and we still don't i think fully understand just how much how much money long term in a product's life cycle you can you know you can actually make uh-huh.
0: are these sort of subscription models or are these people's kind of rent the software or how, how does that work
1: um I, well again i think that the whole business model is you know is in its its early stages so at the moment you can you can pay a subscription and i think you can also you know pay per title okay so, you know, talking about that, you've got obviously the whole free-to-play phenomena, which is, you know, used to be just on mobile phone, but now it's actually finding its way to PC and console. And uh, You know, free-to-play, you, you know, you get the game for free, but the way the game is then monetized is via, the you know, the in-app purchase of, you know, whether it be weapons or whether it be clothing or whether it be other vehicles, etc. And, you know, if, if your game is successful, if enough people have downloaded it and it's a good product, and they're spending the money. Then there's absolutely incredible money to be made, you know, through through an app purchase. Um, but obviously, I would say, from an investment perspective, there's that much more risk for creating a a free to play game because you, there, there's no initial money to be made on you actually, you know, purchasing that game. You've got to understand the business model and the fundamentals of why people are. Are going to be attracted to your game what's going to make them spend money what's going to entice them to spend money yeah otherwise yeah, yeah. you just chuck your whole development and marketing budget down the drain
0: yeah i mean, I, I mean yeah I, it seems to me this is one of the key challenges for i mean it's been a challenge for a lot of software but video games in particular in that on ios or or android the reputation has been if you want to get any traction you've got to do a free version and then somehow suck people into paying something is that really true then because you're saying that other things don't you know there's another model that works
1: well i mean you've got you've still got let's just say the old retail model on on uh mobile as well so uh, you know as in you, you pay 199 299 whatever it might be and you get the game and then you know another way to monetize your product past that would be uh you know to have expansion packs and those expansion packs will then cost you another 99 pence or whatever it will be another way of monetizing so that would be
0: like you get a free the free the first level or the first couple of levels is free but if you want the next 10 levels you pay for them sort of thing
1: well even if you've already paid for the products so that's okay. another way of doing it but another way of mitigating risk is also having advertising you know that's been around for for quite some time you can make a good return on on just having advertising in your game and it's a it's a similar model to you know how youtube works as well and how the the content creators you know end up getting paid from youtube um the adverts on the you know front middle of their you know of their content so you know advertising in-app purchasing is you know, is is one of the the, the key areas where you can monetize, mm-hmm. uh, you know, a mobile product, and in bringing free to play to you know console on PC, you'll be bringing that model to you know console on PC. Now, you know how this gets into another a, another whole technical factor of how do you understand what you've done right and what you've done wrong and how you can change things. Because, you know, back in the old days when, when you mastered a game and it went on to take this cartridge, that was it. <laughs> but, yeah. It's
0: produced, it's you know, done. There's nothing you can do.
1: Yeah. There's nothing you can do. Now you're moving into the world of, uh, you know, of, of providing digital content. You're, you're now moving into, you know, software as a service, <laughs> uh, So you get something wrong, you patch the you patch the issues out, or you patch the you know the improvement into the product. So how you get to understand your market and your consumer is you put analytics within the game. So we're tracking everything that they're doing, so we can see you know how they move around the the interface. Have we got the interface? Uh, you know, right or wrong? Is is it too cluttered? Is it too many? Are they doing too many actions to get to to where they want to go to? You know, is is the AI performing properly? Have we got the costing on, you know, these particular options that we're selling wrong because there's not enough people buying that particular option, but they're like this? So is this
0: kind of like a lean startup model where a video game maker would get a product that they think is uh, you know classic lean start would be the minimum viable product the minimum viable game say and then they sort of put it out there and they get some people playing it and they get the feedback and then from that feedback to say okay now we learn or is it a case of they go further down the line before they issue it
1: right well this this goes into another way of of publishing your content and de-risking the, the actual publishing process and there's something called a soft launch analytics are, are key in a so, in a soft launch but they you, you don't stop there you keep the analytics in when the product goes live so with this with a soft launch you'll get your product so far you might get it to a you know to a uh, you know an alpha or a beta state and then you'll say right okay we're now going to launch this product in Australia or New Zealand you know a, a, a smaller market We'll, and we'll, we'll see what, you know, what the consumer likes and dislikes. And then you'll you'll use that that data, that feedback to then improve your product before you then do a global launch. You've then gone into that global launch. The analytics are still paying, playing a part because you still want to make those key improvements. I say even I was at a, a talk that Supercell did who have been just hugely successful and even you know even the guys at supercell you know they don't get it right 100% of the time so you know it's key that they have analytics in there but you know the important thing is is that you you learn from what you did wrong you learn from your consumer which is something that you really couldn't do to this extent back in the you know back in the day You, you you don't earned from whether or not your game sold or, you know, review. reviews. Reviews are less important now than they were. Reviews were were the key to distribution retail, taking your products. Reviews are, I, I would argue, less important to selling product now. It's all about marketing. It's all about you, you know, having the influencers on board, the influencers marketing, which will help to dictate, you know, just how your game is being seen and whether or not you're you're then gonna you know get that that initial flood of sales
0: and in terms of influencers is that finding people who naturally influence and and just give them free copies or or is that actual paid promotion in terms of x influencer we're going to pay them whatever and they will play the game and produce the youtube video and that
1: it can be both um so you can get the You can get the YouTubers that'll play it for free and you get the YouTubers that will, uh, you know, will charge. And then obviously you need to you need to make, make people aware that they, you know, money has changed hands, I think, because then that then can go back or can feed back into the negativity that we've seen on the, you know, the old magazine reviews where people, you know, there were occasions where people had been. To review games that were awful, uh, they got five out of five, and you're like, "How did this game get five out of five? <laughs> and, then, and then you will you will hear about circumstances where people had had been paid good amounts of money in, in, in some occasions to give great reviews, so distribution retail would take a ton of products. <laughs> but and, you know, people know that that happens, so yeah, yeah, you have to approach that with caution. You have to be very, very, very upfront about mm-hmm. that.
0: Yeah. Uh, and another challenge that I know the video game industry has, as or has controversy, you mentioned earlier about in-app purchases and the challenges of getting yeah. there, right. I haven't heard so much about that recently. Is that something the industry's kind of solved the problem a little bit? Or is that still an issue that, that, that gamers or, or game investors need to worry about?
1: I don't think in games or prospective games investors need to worry about it per se. What they need to be sure of what we all need to be sure of is that where you are, you know, where you're investing in that product, that you're investing in a team that understands the mechanics and they have an experience, a proven experience of, of, uh, you know, of this business model. Cause if they don't, then, you know, I, but the product looks amazing, then, you know, you've got, to my mind, two options. You either walk away, because you don't want to take that risk or you say, okay, this is a weakness. Can I solve that weakness? Is there somebody else that has that proven ability that uh, that we can then bring into the team and therefore make the investment, you know, worth doing?
0: So thinking about video, investing in video games, I keep looking at this a bit like the movie industry in that there's sort of a hit and miss nature that seems to be to video video games in that some video games just go ballistic and hit the popular culture. You know, the Grand Theft Autos of this world, your, you know, that sort yeah. of thing. There's a lot of competition. If I Google how many games are coming in iOS, you know, you get thousands of games a year appear on iOS or whatever. So yeah. this seems to me raises a challenge for an investor about how do you actually say this is a game worth investing in?
1: Ah, uh, okay. So therein lies the 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 bigger issue that investors need to be aware of i've seen a lot of mistakes where it would it would seem to be that investors that have got burnt you know in the past have invested in this really technically amazing shiny thing and not understood you know the full risks of, of coming into the video game market or the film market to that matter or the book market anything media related it's about your marketing campaign. It's about your PR campaign. It's now about the the influencers that you you know you bring in to create awareness for the product. You can have the the most shiny, amazing product in the world, but if nobody knows about it, then why are they going to come throwing money at you? And you know, what what we see in many cases is you know the, the developer you know, is all excited about the product, the content, but they, they've they got no experience or they haven't even really thought about how everyone's going to get to see it.
0: And is that something you can solve with a good publisher? Because obviously, yeah. you know, there's a lot of experienced publishers out there who can do that. Could a naive developer just go to a good publisher and go, right, there you go.
1: Yes, they could. But then they're going to need to know the questions that they need to ask that publisher to ensure that their product is actually looked after. Because, you know, we those of us have been not only in this industry, but the the film industry have seen just too many examples of you going and uh, you know doing a publishing deal or a distribution deal and your product just not getting that love because something else has come up and they've pushed you. Further down the queue, you know, financially. So, you know, you need to be going in and, you know, getting a cast iron contract that defines specifically what are they spending, what are they, sp- and what are they spending that on, and you know, and and getting a, you know, full breakdown of the entire campaign. So you've got something to hold them accountable for because if they mess up, then. You know, you you you, you know, you put all your money in. If they mess up to get it out, then there has to be you know some sort of you know repercussions. You know, so many people don't understand that. You know, they they'll they'll go in and say, "All oh, right, okay, you're you're going to do all this," and then they don't get it sufficiently. You know, drawn up within the agreement. You know, something that you'll hear is it's a hit-driven business. Obviously, you know, sales matter. So I would say, you know, content is king is another flash, you know, flash word. And yes, content is king, but...
0: It's not a simple matter of build it and it'll come.
1: (laughs) Yeah, no chance. Um, It's more important than ever that you have a, you know, you have a great management team, you have a great product, but you have a great distribution, marketing and social media campaign. That, at the end, that is, I, I think, is more important than the other two, really, uh, because if you don't have that, then, then the other two don't mean anything. You might as well have not started in the first place.
0: All right. So how do you, I say, you as an investor or any investor coming along saying, OK, you've got this idea for a great game, and it's perhaps easy for someone to say, OK, this is the game, and yeah. then assessing the the quality of the media or the marketing campaign that goes with that is a lot harder.
1: Yeah, yeah, it is. You know that that that's a real difficult one. It's a difficult one because there's there's, there's genuinely is not that many people that the you know the investors can go to that can do the proper due diligence. Mm-hmm. Um, mainly because you know there's a there's a you know a lot of experienced guys that could are not in the market for doing that work. Mm-hmm. You know they. You know they're tied up working full time for you know for the big developers or publishers to you know doing that development work I've been there done that uh, you know, and as much as I enjoy it and I still enjoy it I'd much rather spend my time you know educating and helping bring money into the industry because we we so badly need it especially in this country and making sure that the you know that the investors money is you know is looked after and you know, and we and we can get a return. Now, there is no guarantees, but what, what we will guarantee is that we will do the job properly. We, we will find the content. We'll make sure everything's lined up and, you know, that the, the investor's money is, is, is not just wasted and, you know, splashed against the wall, so to speak.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. You want to avoid that. I mean, spray and pray, which usually I hear in a different context, but
1: I, I think what's going on this one. Yeah, I I I never understood that philosophy. You'll 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 see it in so many you know diff, different investment strategies. Of you know the one will pay for the other nine that failed. And my philosophy is, no, <laughs> that just seems just an in, incredibly risky and ridiculous way of doing business. Let treat every investment that we do like that. We are planning for success. We're not just going to take a risk on on a bunch because you know on a hunch, no, if the due diligence you know is 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 a failure, then you walk away and you you find the, the next opportunity. There's so many opportunities out there, you know, and there's so many really good people with with great products that are looking for money you know you don't you don't need to be scrambling just trying to do a deal for the sake of doing a deal that's insanity
0: mm-hmm. no no. No, and how easy it for investors to understand the actual market for a game because there's there's a whole pile of different kinds of games and and you know and we know that for example Asia's got five times the number of gamers as as, as the UK well Europe. So how does an investor or know, or even a developer know what the market for for an actual game is?
1: Well, again, that that is not straightforward because if you want the real hard data, then there's a barrier to entry in in cost. So that's when you're paying seven, ten thousand pounds plus for you know for some of this data. But there is a lot of data out in the market you know you can readily get for free. so there's a, a really good company called Newzoo. Uh, com. you know and they're one of the, the the major markets that that basically go out and generate all this data you know i've got data here in front of me for you know projections for the the, the 2021 market as well as you know global games market forecast you know all the way through to you know 2023 so you know you, you can go out and you can look at the genres that are that are, are doing very very well and you know and then say okay in order to de-risk you know let's say my first product i'm going to concentrate you know on a specific genre uh you know that is very very popular so supercell did a game called clash of clans and there was another developer that started up with vc money i think they were xea and a couple of other big publishers and they they created a game called samurai siege and i remember reading an interview that they did years gone by and the you know the the philosophy were for samurai siege was let's just Loosely, let let's create Clash of Clans with Samurai. Clash of Clans is doing mega money, so let's let's take inspiration from Clash of Clans, not reinvent the wheel, but deli- deliver something similar in that in that same genre, but with Samurai. And they did that to huge success. So you know, in the early stages of, and again, you know, it was like free to play. Um, in the early stages of publishing that product, I think they, if I remember rightly, they were generating about fifty thousand pounds a day.
0: Okay, that's pretty Back- good
1: revenue smart way of doing business. You know, you're using somebody else's money. We're trying to create a very profitable, you know, long-term business. So let's not, you know, let's not risk the farm on something that, that we think is going to be superb, but we don't know if people are going to buy it. Let's go with a, you know, with a product that we know sells with something unique to that. And generate some, some good money to start building the business with that for me is, is, is a smart way of operating that's the right way of, of starting a new business or even you know even, even if you're not new and you're, you're, you're just taking a turn. Do that don't go for the big shiny thing that you don't know is, is going to sell especially if you're using somebody else's money. Yeah.
0: And how does that work in terms of development cycles? Because developing a game takes time. I, I'm, you know, I, yeah. I'm sure it varies from game to game. It but does. if you're sitting here saying, all right, I've got data of what's been popular in 2020, say, but if I start today, by the time I develop a game and get it published, it's going to be, I would guess, middle of next year, would that be a reasonable time scale?
1: depending on what you're creating then then i'd say yeah you know some of these games are done in nine to twelve months for example you've got to bear in mind that out of that nine or twelve months that's not all production you are you're saying you've got your pre-production where you, you might be doing a vertical slice playable of the game but on what is a vertical slice playable that's like a a one level or a partial one level proof of concept to make sure that this This product that you want to make is is actually working, and then you're working out, you know, all of all of your schedules and your financing, etc. That that might take, you know, two maybe three months, and then out of that pre-production phase, you go straight into production. Then you know where where you're actually creating the content, and then you're you're at a stage where you're you're almost content complete, and you're you're reaching that alpha stage, which might be a month's development, and then you're you know, your, your content complete and you go into the beta phase, which is refining and bug fixing, you, you know, you then go into the gold master, which is product is ready to then either be launched or or soft launched.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so returning to the point, if it takes whatever length of time, you know, you're looking at historic data, does the market change that quickly? You know, it seems to me, you know, if, if I'm looking at stuff from 2020 and I'm launching middle of 2022, that's two years and the video game, yeah, as an external observer, the video game to market to me seems like it changes quite quickly. Maybe that's unfair, but I don't know.
1: No, it does. It does. It, it's, you know, it's, it, it's always changing. There's always new, you know, new hardware, which is, you know, which is coming to market more so on PC than, than console, obviously. You know, new ways of creating games, you know, new business models are, you know, are, are being, you know, thought about and tested. But, the, the genres that are, that are doing well, you know, they remain constant. Uh, they never go away. And if they, you know, if they do fade, they come back. That doesn't work for all games, but certainly games like Clash of Clans, I think, is true. So, you know, back in the PC, you know, in the height of the PC era, you know, days gone by, you had, like, the point-and-click adventures that were, you know, really, really popular, you know, not so much now. You know, there's a very, very small market, so you wouldn't really be wanting to investing your invest your money in, you know, point click adventures. You know, back in the early days, you know, shoot 'em ups were were massively popular. Who wouldn't be doing a shoot 'em up these days? Yeah. Uh, Doom was the one I remember. Well, that's not the yeah, that's a first-person shooter. So that's you know, that's not a shoot 'em up, but first person shooters are still incredibly popular because you know, Call of Duty's first person shooter. Right. x Legends, you know, first person shooters. So by Kind of shooter shooter maps. So I was meaning, you know, more more so, sort of side scrolling or scrolling up the screen. You know, shooters. So you know, stuff like our type. You know, back in the day, Darius. You know, those those classic shooters. They were, you know, absolutely mega games, but they were really hardcore as well. And the market, you know, the the market argue, arguably was was really just the hardcore. You know, back in the early days, back in the eight and sixteen bit days. And it wasn't until Again, I would argue till the mobile phones came in, where the market had gone truly global, and then you've got a you've got a lot more of a female audience, you know, coming in and, and playing games, and then the market really opened up to to everybody. Candy Crush, you know, back in the early days, it's you know, it's amazing how many you know how many women started picking up playing games just from Candy Crush. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Look how much money that made, <laughs>
0: <laughs> and continues to make. I, I was in my research for this episode, I saw it's still in the top ten of money last year. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Well, the thing is, you know, that and games like Angry Birds. You know, my ex-wife at the time would play Angry Birds, and it. Yeah, you know, I asked her why. Why would you play this? And it's because it was very, you know, key, very easy to get into and understand, and then have fun with. That was a key thing: was being able to get into it very, very quickly. And I mean, to a certain degree, that problem has always been there from game designers so back in the early days you know when you know when you had arcade everywhere then as an arcade manufacturer you wanted to create a great game but you wanted a really great intro because as you're walking walking into the arcade and you're hearing the sounds and you're looking at all the the flashy intros on screen you were you were attracted to the thing that looked the best you go oh that looks really great i'll play that and so Getting people sold within the first sort of five seconds is, I think, still a still a key thing. But you're just not going into an arcade and doing that. It's you're seeing that in a pitch video, or you're seeing that on a you know on an intro from an app you just downloaded. Do I like it? Now, okay, I'll done. You know, it's really easy to download and now, delete.
0: Yeah. How much is production quality an issue? Because think, thinking, I've never been a big gamer, but I, I, I've, I've dabbled a little bit. And I think yeah. back to you mentioned the ZX61 and, and the, you know, the Atari, which was all very blocky. And then in the 90s and 2000s, you had the studios, which very high production values. I and mean, you started to get the film link ups and whatever. And, yeah. But then I think of Flappy Birds which was, you know, the old 8-bit one. And, yeah. you know, and at the same time, the, the quality of, or the ease of producing high-quality material presumably has got, or it's just got a lot easier because of better faster computers, better software, etc. Is production quality an issue still?
1: Yes and no. Do you need high production values? Absolutely, I, I would argue. You absolutely do. Are games still being sold that, you know, are pixelated? Yeah, and people love them. so the graphics don't have to be amazing um you know as as long as the gameplay is great i mean that you know that's been shown through the resurgence of you know the so-called you know indie movement within within the games market so you can have not the best looking graphics but still have high production values in in the way that you know the the game is is developed and is is presented to the player I mean, is it easy to do? No, it's not easy to do from a high-definition point of view. So, you know, the reason why the high, the really high production value games like, you know, Call of Duty, Apex Legends, you know, et cetera, et cetera, um, cost so much money is because of the, you know, the high-definition artwork worlds that you are, you know, you're building. Yes, the, the tool sets have got... Uh, you know more sophisticated to to allow developers to you know create this content but that has actually you know driven up the cost because you know what you're no longer creating the textures in 1080p you're creating them in 4k and there's there's that, that much more detail even if you are going out and you are you're getting photo libraries of you know textures for your, you know for your plants foliage you know buildings etc you know it still takes extra time to be able to build Build those environments, build those worlds, and you know, and, and get them looking absolutely, you know, amazing. So, you know, the, the more, the more, say, heavily financed companies like you know, Activision, EA, Ubisoft, etc., they have access to the cash to be able to do that. The, you know, the the indie developer that that, you know, yes, they can do that, but they'll have to be able to create a product on a much smaller scale. And if they don't want to go down that road, then you know, they're going to the pixelate, you know, pixel art. You know, way of of creating their artwork, and there's some absolutely beautiful-looking, you know, indie games out there from, you know, from pixel art perspective, which is going back again to how every game was made back in the early days. Anyway, you know, even you know, back when I was making Nintendo Game Boy Advance games, I was still using 3D rendering software to create some of the artwork, and then touching that up with, you know, with with pixel art because that created a faster artwork flow for us. And when we wanted things to look a bit more realistic and we wanted them to be perfect in a certain way, especially when we did Star Wars, for example, uh, or Star Wars game. We got R2D2, the Death Stars, the Millennium Falcon, all of the main game sprites in the game. They were all 3D models that were then rendered out, you know, frame by frame, and then touched up, and they looked incredible on the small screen. So, you know, there's, there's, again, this, this goes back to my point of just making sure that you you have high production value. There are ways of making things look amazing without going down the, you know, the the, the more complicated roads, all, all, you know, all the way down from a, a costing perspective.
0: So one of the questions has always bugged me for well it's bugged me for several years actually is we know that the video game market is huge um yeah. a couple of years ago someone pointed out to me it was twice the size of the movie market which at the time flabbergasted me we've got a, a decent video game industry in the UK but yeah. within SEIS there's hardly any video gaming why do you think gaming's not more popular
1: Ah, okay. So, I, from the the many discussions that I have had when I've I've met the you know fund promoters, I, th- I think what it comes down to is a misunderstanding or not enough information, you know, on the on the games market, or um, investors haven't like you know haven't liked the the kind of risk appetite for it. You know, this is one of the reasons why you know I started Origin. So. Mm-hmm. You know, investors that needed a deep dive on, you know, on the industry, or that they'd found something and they, they, you know, they really needed somebody to go and look into it. You know, we're we're here to do that job. The mark, the market is is huge and it continues to grow. So, you know, if we look at 2020, we were at 177.8 billion worldwide. 20 going out to 2023 this is purely because of the data that I've got in front of me now you know that's projected to be 204.6 billion you know we're not that many you know years away you know 175.8 billion for the 2021 market you know it's a phenomenal amount of money if we go back to last year just purely in the UK game software alone generated 4.55 billion pounds just in the UK so this isn't a market problem. Does the market exist? Yeah. The market very much exists. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, this, this is a, how do I get involved in, in the games business and actually have my money looked after? Because there are no guarantees in investment, whether it be doing this or putting your money in the stock market. You know, you, you don't know whether or not you're, <laughs> you're going to make a loss or you're going to make a massive return. And that is where I've seen a lot of the investors get burned, where they've gone to the wrong people. They've gone to funds that have started up and those funds haven't really known what they're doing and they've died and those investors have, have you know, just got completely burned and then got turned off fire via, via that, which is, is really sad because then I'll hear, oh, it's the industry and it's not the industry. It was it was the people that, you know, were doing that job. They were the wrong people doing that job. You know, you should never have gone to them. And, you in, know, in, in what also amazes me is, is that I've, I've seen, and I, I've been involved over the last couple of years, investors that have, have got involved within the market who just haven't done really any basic due diligence and then cry foul. There's a product that I did over the last couple of years, uh, which, which was a rescue project the game was called Pacer, which was a anti-gravity racing game similar to Wipeout, and the investors who got involved with with that company had evidently done hardly any due diligence and then were, was left with a company that they'd sunk a lot of money into were really worried about were they ever going to get the game out the door you know the guy that they invested in was not the guy that anybody would have, would have invested in and in fact they ended up kicking him out of the business and then were then you know really stuck and we went in and we we you know we turned that that product around and got it out of October to to absolutely, you know, massive fanfare and and worldwide amazing reviews of 80 to 90% plus. But it was an, it was, you know, the key takeaway here was it was another case scenario of of investors, you know, crying foul about the industry when actually they only had their cells to blame because they just didn't do any basic due diligence and then found themselves in a financial hole please, you know, do not find yourself in that situation. Come to us and let us help you identify the risks and whether or not it's worth paying our fees just to say, no, walk away, or yes, this is, this is worth something pursuing.
0: So on that note, we shall move on to our standard questions. I'll throw these at you and see what your thoughts are. Okay. So in terms of the classic VC term, which probably are quite the same in, in video games. You've got market, products, and management. What yeah. do you think's the most important?
1: Right. Okay. So, <laughs> the market we know is there. The product is is critical, and the management is critical. When you invest in a company, you invest in the people that are running that 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 company. All all the time it doesn't matter which business you're in. My key point that is missing from that is what is your marketing, PR and social media plan? Again, because you might have the best management team in the world that can create you the product. But if no one's going to see that product, if you haven't got the money to do a proper marketing, you know, PR and or less so PR and social media job, then don't actually make that investment. Because there's no guarantee that you 're going to make any money at the end of it, and you know the investor wants to make money, the company needs to make money. My point of view is every everybody needs to win, so you need to be doing the work to set yourself up for success if you fail to plan, you plan to fail it's quite simple
0: so tell us about the time you failed and what did you learn from it
1: oh why did i why did I fail? I was too trusting, and this is in the very, very early days where i would not done sufi- sufficient due diligence on an individual i hired to do the programming work on a game and he never came through and again that was that was entirely my fault of a being too trusting coming from you know a good upbringing uh-huh. I, you know from a small town in somerset <laughs> surrounded by good people trusting everybody and i learned the hard way and you know we got we got the product done in the end but i you know i ended up you know, losing money from that deal when then getting the product out, you know, at a later time. And yeah, that, that taught me an awful lot. <laughs> taught me an awful lot. And I didn't make that same mistake again.
0: You definitely learned from it then. Excellent. Yeah. That's a <laughs> so, <the> key thing. <laughs> yeah. So the the sort of EIS industry that we work in is absolutely fantastic in many ways, but it's not perfect. What would you like to change about it?
1: Oh, what would I change about the EIS industry? The big thing that I've, I've really had an issue with is raise, raising money for the industry, for, for the games industry. You know, finding anybody good is difficult. Finding a good fund fund manager was difficult, but they are out there. And again, you know, some fund managers, again, you know, do understand the industry and want to be involved, and others don't. You know, haven't got the capacity or don't want to be involved. But trying to find the good promoters, the people that go out and raise the money, that has been the real problem. I, ha- I haven't had any, you know, I haven't really had any any major issues. I've I've met some really really great people that, you know, I think do some really really great work. We just we just need the ability to be able to have more fundraisers you know in the city that are capable uh, you know enable and, and willing to go out and, and raise for the you know for the games market and the problem is i think uh, you know on a, on a large well there isn't a large number per se but there's a you know a good number that i spoke to again you run into the problem where they don't understand the industry fully so they don't want to go out and do the job so uh, you know that's that's just a crying shame you know all there's been some really good guys that have gone out and they have they have raised money but they feel they got burnt and they got burnt because they got the wrong people involved to go and do the diligence so nobody made money and it was all 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 a big failure
0: Mm -hmm. yeah and psychologically it's hard to go back to an industry after once you've done that no matter how much you feel you've learned about the process
1: yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, there was, you know, there was a great, a great example of this, you know, years gone by, you know, I won't mention the name, but it was a, a fund that had, had been created with a, you know, a good name in the industry. The EIS industry had gone out and raised the money and, you know, it had all gone wrong. And we spoke, you know, we spoke to them because we heard what was going wrong. You know, they turned around to, to me specifically and said, we we really wished we'd met you a couple of years ago. You know, and this was in the early early stages of me trying to piece you know, all of this together. But the damage was done at that point. You know, they were they were getting out and, you know, they, they'd look to maybe come back in the next couple of years. But again, it's, you know, it's an absolute crying shame. So, again, it's, you know, getting getting the right people involved to help you make your investment decisions are, are absolutely critical. Uh, you know, if you are coming into industry that you, you don't fully understand.
0: So what do you wish you knew when you started with
1: Origin that you know now? Why it was so hard to raise the money? <laughs> Honestly, that 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 again is the key takeaway. Because yeah, I I'd done a lot of due diligence. I'd done a lot of reading. I'd gone around and spoken to a lot of people about fund management, how to piece the whole structure of you know of a fund together. It was just how do I get the money to make this happen? That was always the bottleneck. And you know, to 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 a degree, it still is. <laughs>
0: So some of them wanted to find out more about the industry. What sort of reading would you recommend for them to go
1: and do? For the games industry? Yeah. I would go and read everything they can on any of the industry websites, whether that be MCV or gamesindustry.biz, just to keep up with the business. Go and look at the uh, the data from companies like NewZoo.com. You know, they won't be able to get deep dives, but they'll be, be able to get, you know, all the headline numbers from NewZoo, uh, you know, and, and other, uh, you know, data companies. App Annie is another one for uh, you know all the mobile platforms. Uh, you know there's a, there's a there's a good amount of them out there. Gama Sutra is great for you know for developer insider knowledge. So, you know reading up on you know developer experiences when they've actually created these big games. You know and they're uh, they're doing post mortems of what went right, what went wrong for them. You know in any any of the creative websites about what it what it takes to actually you know create games from you know the stories to the you know to the worlds where the stories are playing out to the technological you know uh, you know advancements you know within gaming you know ai physics there's so much there is so much to read up i mean essentially you are you know w- within modern gaming now you're, you're almost playing a film because the visuals are that you know that definition now they'll just continue to get better and better and better so you know back in the back in the early days where you had like the choose your own adventure mechanic in a book, you know, where do you want to do this? Go to page 63. Do you want to do that? You go to page a hundred. Yeah. You're you're then kind of like playing that out real time. And that's something that you can't do in film. You know, film is a, you know, is a linear piece of entertainment Whereas you know, with a, with a game, uh, you know, the story can just have, you know, multiple branching narratives all done real time. So that's still something that, you know, that games has going for it, that, you know, that, that films don't. And it's, you know, maybe one of many reasons why games make more money than films and, and, and books. On, I think and music like combined now, you know, it's astronomical. There's a massive market there. Um, that market continues to grow at, at a rapid pace. But yes, you know, the barrier to entry for investors, I I still think is still there. You know, investors just just need the right guidance. They need the helping hand because they want to dip their toe into the market. And that's, that's why Origin is here.
0: So if anyone wants to find out more about what you're doing at Origin, where should they go?
1: Can I point them to the website? The website's got my personal mobile number on it and also uh, email address that uh, everyone can reach out to.
0: Excellent. We'll put a link to that in the show notes otherwise thank you very much for coming on today steve it's been really good to find out a bit more about an industry that i didn't know as much as i probably should about and hopefully we many the listeners thinking the same
1: it's a pleasure brian thanks so much for thinking of me and having me on
0: so we hope you enjoyed that if you want to find out more the show notes will be available at harmanco.com forward slash podcast if you like, really like what you heard, you can give us a review with lots of stars on iTunes. You can subscribe to this through iTunes, Spotify, and all good podcast players. If you want to give us feedback or find out more about what we're doing, then you can send us an email at inquiries at hardmanandco.com. Thanks very much for listening and hope to hear from you soon.